Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. In today's episode, my co-host, Dr. Nenna Nikpour, and I are excited to welcome Dr. Carl Stonecipher. In this episode, we talk about the evolution of presbyopia treatments, as well as some of the options currently on the market and coming down the pipeline. This and more coming up on Off the Grid. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. It's your host, Blake Williamson, with my main gal, co-host, Dr. Netta Nikpour, here for round two. Netta, what's going on? How you doing? Aloha. I'm here at Hawaiian Eye with Carl. We're having a fantastic time missing you. Unbelievable. You guys are both in Hawaii. Uh, Carl's playing cornhole with Jim Katz and enjoying margaritas. And you guys are just having a blast. And I'm stuck in Louisiana. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm just happy I get to look at you guys in your beautiful tans. Netta, you and I were talking about episodes and, and ideas. And you're like, we got to talk about presbyopia. We have to have Carl Stone Cypher. And I was like, I know that guy. He's a Tulane dude. We can definitely bag him. And sure enough, you got him on the line. So why don't you introduce Carl and uh, start us off? Oh, well, it's my pleasure. So I am thrilled that Carl is taking time out of his super busy schedule at Hawaii and I to get together with us to talk about this. Um, so Carl and I are both from Oklahoma. So we have that in common, which I love about him. And just like so many people in Oklahoma, he is just the kindest, most genuine man and Thank such you. a delight to be around. Yeah. And he's so knowledgeable on so many topics. Um, and yeah, I'm just really excited to hear what he has to say about what's new in the world of presbyopia, because there's been some exciting developments. So I'd love to hear his thoughts. Absolutely. And, and, you know, thank you guys for having me here. It's, it's, uh, you know, we're in Hawaii and Ned and I are doing a lot of KOL meetings, but we're suffering by the pool and playing cornhole in the Hawaiian Eye tournament. But but I took a break. I would like to tell you that I'm still moving towards the championship game, but I was one and done. So, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> Carl, I love it, man. So I, I uh, appreciate you. I want you to kind of, um, you know, the thought about this podcast was, um, the thought about this podcast was, uh, um, sort of the arc of presbyopia treatments um, and how things have changed because it used to be, you know, monovision back in the day or blended vision as we call it. And then we have IOLs and now we have you in eye drops now. So maybe like a year ago, can you talk about if it was a year ago and you had like a Plano presbyope uh, coming in your office, um, you know, what would you offer them if they said, hey, I want to get out of reading glasses and, and might, how might that be different today? Yeah, so let's, that, that's a great question. And the reason it's a great question is because evolution occurs in ophthalmology. So we always think we're reinventing the wheel all the time. And I think that the biggest issue with presbyopia is I'm like you and my practice is very similar to you and your dad's. And that's, you know, I've got like, you know, 495 optometrists that refer into me. So I'm, I'm very big on contact lenses, whether that's a multifocal contact lens, a high ad, a low ad, 
whether that's doing a monovision. When I had LASIK, I had monovision. I did a contact lens trial and pushed myself as far as apart as I can. And so I can still read and do what I need to do. So there were a lot of those tricks. And if you talk about IOLs, you know, I operate on my mom, I operated on my aunt, I operated on my, my father-in-law and my sister-in-law. And, and a lot of times we didn't have a great option even with an intraocular lens. So I think it's the gambit of, okay, where is somebody in their life what are their hobbies and their habits? And, you know, we're always looking for the new. We're always looking for something that can change. And so, you know, we, we, we've worked towards, you know, something different or we need that kind of gateway to get us from what do we do before we get cataracts and what do we do if we get LASIK? And so I think that, you know, everybody's always trying to figure out what they're doing in life, whether they're a pilot, okay? And then, but, but what if they like to tie fishing flies, you and I are loving to fish and doing all that sort of stuff. Well, that's two, you know, totally different things that we have to be able to provide this person with. And, and I don't know, you guys are both young. So, you know, friends around you that are putting their reading glasses on, it's miserable. It's just, it's just not an option. Uh, and if we can prevent that option, it, it's great. So Carl, talk to me a little bit about, you know, you have a refractive practice, just like ours, you have a surgical referral practice. And one of the most challenging patients a year ago, five years ago, even today is the patient who's in the, I would say 40 to 55 or 45 to 55 year old age range of all the patients that come into our practice. I feel like they're the ones that have the hardest time making a decision because there are many options. And up until maybe I would say up until Presby drops for some patients, any refractive surgery had some compromised in either binocularity or visual quality with like diffractive lenses with refractive lens exchange. So how are you handling a patient like that now in terms of explaining the different options to your refractive surgery consult patients and helping guide the conversation of which treatment option is best? Are you having everybody start Presby drops? Are there certain candidates you're using it for? I'm going to talk about that a little bit. So let's define it for just a second. So there's three patients that I kind of wrap my head around. The first patient is the latent hyperope. You know, they've seen great at distance all their life. They're reading great. And maybe somewhere in their late 30s, they're like, you know, I can't see my phone anymore. I can't see my computer anymore. I'm getting more and more headaches. That's patient one. Patient two is the low myope. And, you know, they do very well. I always say the perfect refraction is like a minus 75, minus one, maybe a little bit more. Um, they can see, they pass their driver's test. And then the one that's most frustrating for you and I is what like the, the the person that comes in and says my LASIK wore off so doc you know you gave me this lifetime guarantee and now my LASIK wore off and I'm like but you're still seeing you know 2020 to distance or better and they're yeah but I can't read anymore and so then that's that's probably the biggest challenge I have so that's where for me the presidency drop has has become you know, the, the godsend, so to speak, the gateway drug, whatever you want to say for it. But we started working with all these, I, I work with three different products and we started working in about 2013. And so we've been through probably 20 to 30 different formulations, whether that's combination drops, whether that's, you know, concentration. And, and I think that, you know, Allergan is, is the lead runner. And if you want a company that's going to be the lead runner, they, they're very good at marketing things. And so I think that they've come up with a GUI uh, it's completely different than pilocarpine. So when people look at me and go, oh, it's just re-engineered pilocarpine, I say it really isn't. And you just kind of need to look at, dig down, dive in it a little bit deeper. And I think that, you know, this is one of those, those opportunities where you ask me, who do I give it to? Everybody. So, so 
I think the, the studies report about nine out of 10. So it's not for everybody. It's not going to work for everybody. I think if you've got a brown iris, your, your eye's going to suck up the drop a little bit more than if you've got a blue iris. So the light blue irises, you know, I'm, I'm seeing them maybe last than three to four hours where the darker irises, I'm sorry, eight to 10 hours, whereas the, the, the darker irises are, are the lower end, like three to four hours. And we're about an average of six. So it, for me, everybody that walks to the door has done well with it so far. But again, we have people that it doesn't work for. I mean, that's that's one in 10 in my practice. Yeah. What the the um, it's interesting, you know, the, that low myope, that 45 year old low myope that walks in my office now, you know, I, I, most of them do just fine with custom lens replacement. But, you know, a few of them, they can be a real challenge because on one hand, you know, I might want to do like a synergy symphony mix and match. Uh, to give them that great near because they're used to wonderful near without without contact lenses. But on the other hand, boy, you better nail that distance vision because with their contact lenses, they saw excellent distance. So it's a kind of a double-edged sword. And, and, and with Synergy, I've noticed Synergy has given me the best near vision of any lens I've ever used. But the distance vision sometimes is just okay. It's not great. And it takes a few months to kind of come in. So I'm kind of back to mix and matching it a little bit with great results there. But in that patient, I'm kind of starting to say, well, maybe just, you know, maybe just do a drop of, of, of the presbyopia drop um, you know, the viewity and see if that can help you uh, just at least to get you out of reading glasses. And that seemed to work for me. Um, you know, Netta, I, I don't know, where are you using it in your practice? Where have you found? Because that's the only drop that we have on the market right now. We know that there's several others coming, but what's been sort of your, you know, uh, slam dunk case? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Blake. Um, so I think that Early on when I got samples, I was handing it out like candy. I was trying it in everybody. I was writing prescriptions for everybody. I tried it in some of these latent hyperope patients. And I had some patients who were out. Now I know more about the drop. I know, you know, that it should be ideally your target candidate, somebody who's a mild or moderate presbyope, somebody who has a two diopter ad or less is really who your slam dunk case is going to be. And at the time I was trying it in these hyperopes, I was trying to get in more advanced presbyopia. And even though patients were getting some improvement, they just weren't getting enough improvement. And so um, the first patient who I prescribed it for, who was just like, ecstatic and thrilled with somebody just like who Carl is talking about, who had LASIK 10 years ago, is now presbyopic. She is used to having perfect vision and is extremely frustrated by needing reading glasses. And so when she first got the drops, I called her an hour later to follow up and see how she was doing. And she was in tears and she was telling me that it was just as good and just as life-changing as when she had LASIK, which was really, really, really cool and really amazing to see the quality of life improvement for somebody, which got me really excited about it. Um, one other patient that I had that I think is really interesting is you know, we're both doing a lot of refractive lens exchange or custom lens replacement, whatever you want to call it. And, um, I, I would say six, eight months ago before we had Presby drops, I did a one-eyed panoptics in a patient, which I generally am not doing for most of our patients. I'm doing bilateral same day sequential surgery. Um, but there was a guy who was 2020 J10 and he really could not tolerate monovision, really wanted a surgical permanent option. And so I did a non-dominant eye panoptics excellent outcome. He was 2015 J1 plus or 2015 J1, something like that. Um, but he was complaining like a lot of these one-eyed panoptics patients will, that he just didn't feel like he was as free of glasses as he wanted to be, was still having to use his reading glasses more often than he wanted. And fortunately he didn't really have the side effect of 
the lens. He wasn't complaining about night vision. He was really happy with the quality of vision, um, but he had a little bit of ocular surface irritation still. And so he was hesitant to proceed with his other eye. And it was really helpful for me this most recent time that I saw him to explain in a new way why treating his second eye was actually going to fix his problem. Because he had a really hard time imagining why operating on what he thought was his, you know, quote unquote, good eye was going to help. But as soon as I put a Presby drop in his other eye, he, an hour later is texting me with all these shakas and all this, like, oh my God, doc, this is amazing. You've changed my life. I can't wait. I'm so stoked. I'm so ready to get the second eye done. And so it actually was really helpful in illustrating something to a patient that I already know, and you already know, but it can be really hard for a patient to wrap their head around. Yeah, I think that single eye cataract patients is kind of a challenge, and and we got them whether they've got a traumatic cataract or, you know, one just develops more than the other, and so I think we've used that in a couple of patients that at least show them, you know, this is a depth of focus, this is a bilateral issue, and and yeah, it's not going to denigrate your distance vision, but it it'll walk them towards the the mark, so to speak, in terms of convincing them that hey, that second eye is going to help them out a bit. You know, what's really funny is I was almost nervous and hesitant to actually put the drop in because I was like, man, he's going to be upset that he did a refractive lens exchange when he could have just used a Presby drop. But amazingly, his reaction was not, wow, I wish I'd done that was this and waited. He, it was, oh, I'm ready to do my second eye now, which actually kind of surprised me. <laughs> well, you know, what I was trying to say was let's define a couple things. We want 40 to 50% of our pupil size. So whether that's mesopic, photopic, you know, whatever conditions we're in, whether they're in the low store, it's got kind of bad lighting or whether they're at bright sunlight or we're at the Ruth Chris trying to read the menu. And this drops delivering that in about nine out of 10. So if we can get that 40 to 50%, and I just submitted an abstract um, to Arvo and basically we data mine, you know, kind of went backwards on this huge group of patient populations. People don't understand that. This is the largest pilocarpine study period. There's like a thousand patients in the study. And, and we went back and looked and kind of who's that sweet spot. And it's two to two and a half millimeters in the people. And it's a, and it's a dynamic people. So it's not like it's static and that we, we bring their people down more. So what you see with the generic pilocarpine than you do with the, the, the secret sauce of beauty, so to speak. Yeah. The, um, you know, the interesting thing is I, I did a, uh, I did an interview with the ophthalmologist the other day about this and about presbyopia drops and the one that's available here in the United States. And in Europe, a lot of the, the, the docs are kind of poo-pooing it because I don't think it's available yet, first of all. And second of all, the lady was like, yeah, these glaucoma specialists are telling us it's all marketing. And I'm like, well, you have to consider the source. You know what I mean? I mean, they went into glaucoma, not refractive. What are you thinking? No, I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, though, I was like, you know, I, I told her, I said, it just depends on who you're talking to and your mindset with it. It's really all about creating a category, right? We didn't have dry eye as a real disease until, you know, a few years back when we started getting some of the pharmacologics. And, you know, now we have this disease that affects over 100 million people um, and it's being categorized as that. And I have random people at the country club and in the gym and at the restaurant saying, hey, what is this? What are these drops? Right. And so if, if anything, I mean, part of me is like, who cares how well they work? Let's just focus on the fact that it's going to drive these people into our practice. So from a business perspective, it seems like that's what we should be focused on. Some of the, some of the docs in, in Europe may not be focused on that quite as much as we are, Carl. So, you know, I don't know kind of what you think about it, creating a disease category. 
So, so there's three things we're assured of, right? We get a die, we get to pay taxes, and we all get presbyopic. It's 100%. Now, if I get that sweet spot of minus one, yeah, maybe I last for a long, little bit longer. But for the most part, we're going to die, we're going to pay taxes, and we're getting presbyopic. And I, I like to explain it to patients that way. It's going to affect you at some point in time. When a patient comes in, you're spot on, and you and I think a lot of like Ned is the same way, Alan Faulkner, her partner is the same way. How is this going to affect my practice? How is this going to affect the fun way, as I say, of my practice? And, and, and the biggest issue is people come in, you know, we're doing an exam on them. If you've come in and you've had a dilated exam within, for me, 12 months, I'm fine. I'm just going to write you the prescription. I don't want to, I, I don't want to fill a presbyopic slot, say, and, and lose a surgically slot. So I think that you know, I'm still on, I want to get a surgery spot, but at the same time, our optometrists in our offices, as well as outside our offices, are loving the fact that they're getting more patients that are getting driven to their, their offices. And we're real big on that in terms of trying to feed our, our, our co-managing physicians in terms of the new people. But if you don't co-manage, this is still a great opportunity. And, and these people come in, I can do it over the phone if I've seen him within the last year. In my opinion, you know, that's what I do. And I give him a prescription. And, and we have a few samples, you know, Allergan, I think in the smart way is not just flooding the market with samples initially. I think that that people need to use it for at least seven to 10 days before they give up on it. It's like the old days of dry eye. And I'm gonna go back and say something. Marguerite McDonald published a paper that is, has kind of defined presbyopia. So like stage one, stage two, stage three, mild, moderate, severe. Well, it's kind of until we kind of started telling the patient, what's the difference between a international task force level one versus four, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna start treating you earlier with restasis. Then now with this drop, I'm using the same thing as severe mild, you know, in terms of your disease, you wear your glasses sometimes, and, and you don't have to use a drop all the time. So of the say 100 prescriptions I've done already, I would say there's a there's a good majority of patients that don't use it every day because they don't need to. So maybe they use it five days a week when they're working, but you know they don't use it when they're playing golf or something. You know, so I think it's not a side effect of the drop. They just feel like they don't need that extra up. But I'm like Nana. Some of these patients will put it in, and you know they're going to love it when they come back 15 minutes later and they're like, uh, "That's pretty cool." Because you know the first people we did were all our staff. And, and that's where I tell everybody to start. Start with your staff, figure out what they like. That's who I use my samples on. I use my samples on, you know, my family, my staff. And then you know, I do a TikTok. I got a little TikTok on my, my uh, surgery tech, Shannon. She's like, you really put me on TikTok? I was like, well, maybe, you know, but it, it, it works and it shows people. And so I can defer them to Shannon and show them how it works for Shannon. And Shannon's more mature. I can't say how old she is or she really will kill me. But I think for the most part, she, she loves this stuff, but she uses it episodically. You know, she said, I'm on the weekend, I don't need it, but if I'm operating, I, I use it. Yeah, Carl, I think that's really valuable insight to start with your staff. And I did the same. I started with, even though I'm not presbyopic, I started with myself, my staff, patients that I knew would give me really accurate, detailed feedback about what they experienced. And so um, one of the questions that I think providers are going to have for those who haven't started prescribing it yet, or maybe haven't gotten their samples yet is, you know, what side effects do I need to warn patients about? What is the safety profile? Um, and how serious is it? Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Well, and I think people, you know, let's add one in there. What's different between that and generic pilocarpy? So I get that question from co-managing doctors as well as other physicians who are like, what's different? Well, I think it's it's the FAST technology. And so Allergan has brilliantly and other companies like Ouch and have done it as well. And I've got to kind of qualify that. I'm a consultant for a lot of different companies. 
but Allergan knows how to make a drop and they figured out the GUI and basically the GUI is one thing. People don't realize that pilocarpine is about 4.5 on the pH scale. So it's a little bit irritating. Well, with fast technology, it goes to a more normal level like a tier into the seven range and these people are comfortable. It's a comfortable drop. I haven't seen a lot of people complain of pain on installation. Maybe my dry patients, but you know, your dry patients always kind of complain about that, that kind of thing anyway. So, so it is definitely different than pilocarpine. And for me, it's different in a couple of ways. I think one thing is that it lasts longer. So if we try and give somebody a, a generic pilocarpine, which CVS has erroneously substitute on purpose uh, on three of my patients, and they're like, oh, darn, we didn't really mean to give them generic pilocarpine. And, and those patients are not getting a wow factor. It's not lasting, but maybe two hours or something. And so I think that that's one of the things that in the study, we average about six, seven hours. And, and, and that's because of the technology. It's a more comfortable job because people don't realize pilocarpine has to be stored at that lower pH or it's unstable. So I think that, that that's issue number one. Issue number two is Okay, is it safe? Well, you know, we've been using pilocarpine for 187 years. Now, now Blake and I are, are Louisiana bound. And so, you know, they started using pilocarpine. They had these big old glass jars full of 6%, 4%. And who knows in the, the Louisiana sun how hot that got. So it probably got up to about 12%. So I think that, you know, some of the stuff that, that, that we were taught as residents erroneously is that, you know, everybody's going to get a retinal detachment if they're high myopia. So I think it's appropriate to look for that, but they looked at a thousand cases and, and we had zero, none retinal detachments in a thousand patients. Number two, we elicited, we asked for, we said, Ned, Blake, do you have a headache? Well, Blake in the control group and you in the, the beauty group, well, you're, you're all going to have a headache at some point in time, you know, whether you're mad at your wife, your kids are screaming in the back of the car or whatever, you know, you're going to get a headache. So if I say, do you have a headache? You're going to go, well, yeah, I do have a headache. And I think that we're, we're looking at, I, I can't say that, that, you know, I got a report that, you know, it was a little bit higher in the beauty group than the control group, but I actually have to say, we're going to go back and look at that. We're not going to ask you to get a headache. So those are probably the two people that are the two, you know, nuances that we have to deal with. But I think that the other thing is intraocular pressure. So it didn't change intraocular pressure. And most importantly, what did it not change? Distance vision. So that's the first thing I look at anybody after I put a drop in them. I say, hey, go look down the hall or go look outside and tell me if it changes your vision at all. The one person that's exception to that rule is who? Blake, you and I and Netta all have them. It's somebody's got kind of an old LASIK like me, you know, and their their corneas have a higher order aberration, and and they really actually see better with it. I think so. I think that that pinhole effect we used with Alphagan or we used with pilocarpine generic before it makes a huge difference in that population. Well, uh, you know, I want to switch gears here uh, in the last uh, uh, three or four minutes that we have together, and then I'm going to give uh, uh, Netta the final word or final question. I want to switch gears to laser vision correction because, you know, Carl, you do as much or more laser vision correction than anybody uh, that I know um, here in the U.S. And, you know, there's a lot of people abroad. I'm always thinking about Dan Reinstein doing the Prince Beyond and stuff like that. What, but, but I don't really hear people doing that here in the United States. Do you know all the manufacturers you know, you would be the guy to talk to. Is that coming out? I know that J&J is developing a new eczema. What is Alcon doing? Is there any type of thought about doing, creating multifocality on the cornea? And, and how far out are we from that? And then I want uh, Netta to kind of finish up with our last word. 
That's an interesting question because we tried multifocality in terms of, of on the cornea for quite a while. And I love Dan. He and I argue constantly on panels and, you know, we debate and do all that sort of stuff. And no, for him, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, argue with all. Dan? No. Not at all. But, but I do like his sax. I can't play sax as good as him. He's awesome. But I think that, you know, with me, if I can leave your cornea normal, I know it's going to be better. So like a Rayner lens, the Rayner EMV lens just came out and I consult for Rayner, I speak for them and all that sort of stuff. And that's been a really nice addition to my practice. But I think if we change the cornea, we're changing the Q value, we're changing the spherical aberration, we're changing those things that are going to limit our lens choices. And who knows what lens is going to come out. And you guys know that we get a new lens about every six months. So I don't want to do something, you know, make a pro-lake cornea that's going to eliminate or limit me using some of these other things. So Dan and those guys say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, blended vision is what they call it. And the press beyond. And they say that, you know, I'm going to put in a monofocal lens in you. And I don't think Margarita minds. She said it to me a thousand times. She said, I chose a monofocal lens because, you know, I want to have, you know, crisp, clear, quality vision, the best contrast I can have. But I think a lot of these lenses like an iHance lens or a Rayner EMV are giving us that push that gets us past the point. Now, are they perfect? Are they gonna get us to, you know, Vividity or, or a Panoptics or a Synergy level? Obviously not, but I think there's a lot to be said for, for where we go with that. But I don't think the cornea, and I'm gonna go live and probably lift this down five years later, but I don't think the cornea is the answer. We've tried for probably 20 years trying to do the cornea. And I think if I can fix the cornea, if you've had a bad LASIK, and I don't mean that the surgeon was bad, I'm just saying if you have an older platform like me, I have halos and glares, but I do it all over again if you told me that. But I think that, that we want to preserve that cornea the best we can, but we also have the ability now, whether it's like you mentioned ray tracing, or whether it's like topographic guided treatments or eye design or whatever platform you're using, I think that, that it allows us to, to fine tune that corny if we needed to as well. And I don't want to have some steep spot that I have to deal with and try and figure out how to get rid of. So I feel like people talk about how presbyopia is the holy grail of ophthalmology as soon as somebody figures out how to treat presbyopia. So tell me what you're excited about that's on the horizon one, five and 10 years down the road for the pharmacologic and or surgical treatment of presbyopia. Yeah, so this is going to be my gateway drug. So it's going to help me get people, you know, past I don't know, 45, 50. And, but at the same time, I, I'm a refractive surgeon like you guys. So if somebody comes in with a plus four, we had it on the panel today. If somebody did that, David always comes up with these great cases. And it was a plus four case. The guy treated it. And, and, and basically the person ended up plus six. Uh, because you put the minus instead of the plus in. So, so I, I just don't even do those people anymore. I mean, I know that hyperopic LASIK maybe works up for me up to about two, two and a half doctors, and I just don't push it past that. I think they see so much better. And I've, I've now published our 30-year history of lensectomies. We're now allowed in many states to do bilateral lensectomy. I can't do that yet in the great state of North Carolina. But I think that that we are now so it's so much more fun. The lenses are so much better. You know, five, 10 years ago, I mean, your dad, Blake and I, you know, were I worked with Bruce Wallace, your dad, and all those people that were putting in the 3M lens. And, you know, people think, oh, we're living large with that. You know, I mean, uh, Gills put it in everybody. He was so excited about it. Well, everybody came back and said, you know, this isn't great. I can't see great. The contrast is not great. So, so we don't want to jump on board always. I think new technology 
The next phase is going to be a small aperture lens. It just got an approvable status. So AccuFocus just got an approvable status. Uh, they've got their, their good manufacturing practice, but the FDA basically said, oh, it's COVID. We're not sure you're going to really get an approvable status. We're not going to let you go and run yet. So we're probably going to get that later in maybe second or third quarter, I think. So that one's exciting for me. I think especially in you know these 16, 18, I had an 82RK incision patient the other day, 82. And he, the guy didn't want to, the guy, I mean, I know, right? Where do you put all those incisions on top of each other? And he didn't want to transplant. He'd been to three other transplant surgeons. He said, they said, go see Carl. And, and this is going to be a perfect lens for that. And I tell those people, wait, you know, I always hate me, not, not the patient, not my colleagues. I hate me when I'm in too big a hurry. So I have no problem saying to a patient, you know, there's a great technology and it's coming down the road. And I think that's better. I think there's a lot of newer style lenses. I mean, the Rainer MV does not come in a Toric. You know, hopefully they'll bring in a Toric to the horizon sooner. I've been really happy with that lens. You know, my go-to lens right now for a Toric is, is an iHance because I think it works extremely well. You know, I flip-flop back between a pan optics and Synergy. I think there's different patients that do better for that. For me, Synergy provides a little bit more near. So I did a minus 17 the other day and she's like okay where's my uber near i'm like you're 2020 distance 2020 intermediate 2020 near she goes yeah but i can't do this anymore uh, and i just looked at her and i said don't do that anymore just stop because you're just going to get frustrated and 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 we all have those patients but you know blake there's a a horizon of lenses as we always know so we were just talking to the j and j people at one of the kol meetings about you know, they're already coming out. What, what would you think if this lens did that? So they're, 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 they're compounding technology on technology. And, and I love engineers. I mean, you know, I hate them as patients, but I love the fact that they're around. It's like the fact, you know, that Delta and, and the Navy SEALs are out there. But you don't know what they're, they're doing. And so a lot of times, I don't know what the engineers are doing, but I'm, I'm glad they're there. <laughs> I love it. Man. That's amazing. I love it. Very cool. Um, you know, uh, this has been very, very insightful, and it's given me a lot to think about um, with how we are using all the different options available to us, as well as sort of, you know, getting us excited for the future and what's to come. So I want to thank uh, my co-host, uh, Netta, and uh, the one and only Carl uh, for coming on and spending some time all the way from Hawaii. I love you guys, and I hope you have a wonderful meeting. Thank you. Hey, thanks for uh, having thank me. Thank you, Blake. Aloha.